This is a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs during our summer meeting in San Diego, California, June 2017. Uh, this is an introduction to chemical peels that I'll be presenting today. Um, it's an interesting topic because a lot of the times, you know, we talk about lasers and, and the lasers have mm, supplanted, in private practice, supplanted many of these deeper techniques, but it's still good to go over this for both academic reasons and for knowing when something goes wrong with some of these peels to just go over this uh, in an academic fashion. All right, let's talk about chemical peels. What is their place in skin rejuvenation and maintenance? What is their depth of penetration? What kind of patients um, can we select for chemical peels of various kinds? What are the complications? And we'll talk about integrating chemical peels into treatment protocols such as acne and pigmentation. So the history of peels dates back to ancient Egypt when Supposedly, Cleopatra bathed in sour milk, and it turns out that lactic acid and alpha hydroxy acid, commonly used today, you know, it was probably what caused her skin to be so good and to have certain Romans fall in love with her. Uh, particles of alabaster mixed with milk and honey were used for peels as well in ancient Egypt. And in our own time, a gentleman by the name of Una. I think the same guy who did the boot, is a German dermatologist who described resorcinol, salicylic acid, phenol, and trichloroacetic acid. It's a good feat. And then in 1903, McKee, who was chairman of dermatology at NYU, started using peels for acne scarring. And then, of course, Baker and Gordon, we've heard of Baker peels and Gordon peels, uh, presented a peel formula with one patient um, and a three-month follow-up, and this became the standard sort of peel formula of the time. So there are three different types of peels that we, we'll talk about. The first is a superficial peel, then medium-depth peels that affect the epidermis and papillary dermis, and then the deep peels that can affect the mid-reticular dermis. And there are a number of peel types that you know, pertain to each level. So, for example, glycolics will pertain to more superficial. Tri uh, TCA, we can use as superficial peels and medium-depth peels. And then peels like phenol really target the deep. And when talking about peels, the first thing that people mention sort of in academics is frosting. You know, we're not making a cake. What we're doing is we're denaturing collagen and keratin. So keratin protein denaturation is what frosting actually is. And there are three levels of frosting depending on the level. So level one frosting is erythema with streaky surface whitening, as seen is in superficial peels. If we see bright white coated frosting with erythema showing through, that's a medium depth peel. And then finally, when we see that solid white grayish color, then we're getting deep and that's getting into the papillary and beyond. So what's a peel actually doing? Well, it's a chemical burn of the epidermis and outer dermis. And the question is, how is this burn repaired by the body? Well, in the first two to five days, we have regeneration of the follicular 
and eccrine duct epithelium. Uh, so we, we have regeneration of epidermis from the, the eccrine and follicular ducts. So skin that contains adnexa is really important. Now, where do we know, uh, you know which skin contains the most adnexal structures? It is the face. And this is the reason why peels are primarily done on the face. If we're doing them off the face, then we have to be very careful about scarring. And I had a question in here um, regarding my other talk on, on lasers about fractional resurfacing. And the question was, can scarring result from fractional resurfacing? And the answer is yes, when off the face. On the face, very rare. But off the face, yes, because there's less regeneration of epidermis from the follicular and eccrine duct epithelium. After the regeneration happens, the epidermis becomes more orderly. And we have a more orderly epidermis, and we have actually new dermis formation as well if it goes that deep. So when we're looking at actinic changes in the histologies in the skin, you know, what do we see? We see a disorderly arrangement of epidermis, degeneration of the elastic network, mottled pigmentation, lymphocytic infiltration, decrease in collagen, epidermal cell atypia, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what it looks like. So if you look at sort of on the left side, you have regular skin or non-aged skin. And on the right side, you have aged skin. And again, you can see all of these things going on. You can see the flattening of the epidermis. You can see that the collagen bundles are disordered, some inflammation throughout the whole area, increased pigmentation at the basal layer. All these things happen due to skin aging. And then at two weeks past um, after a peel, we can see that the histology improves. The disordered collagen bundles become more ordered, and there's less elastin formation. So this is elastosis as well. There's less elastin. So we can see that the new collagen is arranged in parallel as opposed to in a disordered fashion. And this is what we want. The collagen formation, it's very important to note, can take place up to one year after the peel, especially if it's a deeper peel. So patients may not be initially as happy, and we have to let them know that down the line they're going to be happier. So let's ask ourselves the question, which peels or superficial peels target the? It's probably too easy. It's always one out there. Yeah, I was right. There's a couple. OK, the epidermis, yes. Who are the candidates for chemical peels? Well, again, like any time that we're doing any deep procedures or invasive procedures, we have to worry about higher Fitzpatrick types. So I think that I already discussed it in my other lecture, but this is important. You can be white, but you can be different skin type. You can be a type 3 or a type 1. So we have to ask the question from the patients, do you burn? Uh, when, you first, when you first get sun exposure, do you tan first, then burn? Do you burn, then tan? Well, you know, these are the questions. So a type 3 
sometimes burns mildly, tans above average, but a type 1 always burns, never tans. And we will never know this in a lot of patients unless we ask the question. And that will determine what kind of peels we can do. Because peels on patients of 3, 4, 5, 6 are a lot more difficult to do than on type 1 skin and 2. And the glogog classification. This relates to uh, wrinkling and sun damage. So when you have someone in type 1, in group 1, they have mild, uh, little wrinkling or no scarring and no keratoses. And then when you have the severe aging, you have wrinkling, superficial to deep actinic keratoses, skin cancer, and there are deeper peels that are required for these patients. Now, this is more of a historic idea. You know, historically, peels were also used for actinic keratoses. They were used for superficial skin cancers. That's why this classification contains that, because we can do medium, medium to deep peels. Nowadays, we're doing other treatments for superficial skin cancers like Aldera or PDT or other things. So what are the indications? I think the most common indications are pigmentation, including melasma. Then you have acne, especially comedonal acne. And then you have scarring and facial aging. So what do superficial peels do? Well, the first thing that happens is there's necrosis of the epidermis with a healing time of one to four days. Um, typically, this is the lunchtime peel. This is when patients can go back to work the next day and they'll have mild peeling. So these peels are great for acne. They improve pigmentary irregularities. They give a fresher appearance. And they improve minor surface changes, especially when you do repeated peels. And with these types of peels, we can increase the strength of the peel with time. So usually with these peels, I'll do them once a month or so for patients. And some of the studies that have come out recently have shown that actually even superficial peels can generate new collagen due to the fact that the body's perceiving the injury as something that it has to repair. So superficial peels are mainly AHAs naturally occurring fruit acids. Of course, the most common is glycolic, but other things like mandelic are used for rosacea, tartic, lactic, citric, malic, there's a number of them. And there are different types of solutions we can use for superficial peels. Now, even trichloroacetic acid, TCA, can be used for a superficial peel in low concentration. So sometimes you'll see patients writing something about some doctor, scarred them with TCA peel, or they'll come in and say, I had a horrible TCA peel. Well, the question is, was it a superficial peel or a medium depth peel, or sometimes even deep? You can get deep with those too. So glycolic acid, 50 to 70%, Jesner's solution, which we'll go into. And we get level one frosting. So postoperatively, we just have to use very mild things, you know, mild cleansers, moisturizers, sunscreens. And glycolic acid can be used to peel all skin types with, medium, with, with uh, minimal risk. So glycolic peels are derived from sugar cane. Usually in the office we'll do them at 50% or higher, although we have done them at 30% to 40% for um, more sensitive patients. 
Uh, we tell patients to stop retinoids, especially if they're doing it for acne treatment. We tell them to stop retinoids three days before. So this peel does not need to be neutralized. It's time-dependent penetration. We'll talk about neutralization. There's initial erythema followed by edema. You have the white patches that are indicative of level one frosting. Development of frost indicates deeper level of action. And then removal of, with water or neutralization with sodium bicarb is, in this case, needed for glycolics. Okay, so these are the types of results we can get with superficial peels. And this is a vitalized peel, which essentially is, uh, somebody say something. Okay, so this is a combination of salicylic, resorcinol, lactic acid, and panthenol. And you can see a before and after only two peels. And if you do five peels, you can see a pretty marked difference, even with superficial peeling for acne scars, uh, inflammatory acne lesions, pigmentation, some mild sort of revitalization of the skin, decreased wrinkling. Jesner's peel. So that peel was basically a modified Jesner's. Resorcinol, salicylic acid, lactic acid mixed in 95% ethanol. It's applied with a gauze or cotton tip applicator. So we have light faint frosting achieved with two to four coats. And there is heat, so patients will complain of heat. So definitely cool them off. And usually in our office, we'll do fanning, and then we'll put on a cool mask afterwards. We can get up to five days of peeling, but the peeling is very superficial. So this is what frosting looks like with Jesner peel, level one frosting. Some bright white erythema with a little bit of, uh, with, yeah, with the erythema poking through. Medium peels. So medium peels go to the papillary dermis. So we talk about necrosis of epidermis with inflammation and possibly penetration into the papillary dermis. And traditionally, they've been used from, for grade two Glogau scores. And we remove the epidermis and superficial lesions, as well as actinic keratoses, repair mild ridities, improve pigmentary dyschromias, and we can improve depressed scars. Of course, medium peels were done much more often in the past, but they're still being done under you know, the blue peel label. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can do with the medium depth peels. Trichloroacetic acid, 20 to 35%, and depth increases with concentration. If we have 50% TCA, or above, it can penetrate to the reticular dermis, and that is already considered to be a deep peel. So TCA is a pretty you know, ubiquitous type of peel. You could be light, medium, or deep, depending on the concentration. The keratocoagulation properties cause the whitening and the frost. And this type of peel does not require neutralization, so you have to be careful when putting it on that you don't put on too many layers. So other agents like Jesner's will increase TCA penetration, and 70% glycolic acid is sometimes used before TCA. We can get an intense burning, so it can require analgesia. 
you know, so uh, topical anesthesia for sure. If not for, um, um, you, you know, we can get blocks, we can get other things. A cool fan is important. So patients are not happy during the procedure. And then afterwards, they can still have some discomfort. So this is what the frosting looks like with the TCA. TCA is painted evenly on the cheeks and lips and eyelids. Obviously, avoid getting the stuff into the eyes, et cetera. We usually put a little bit of aquaphor at the edges of the eyelids and around the mouth to avoid um, damage to the mucosal membranes. Uh, we can treat to within one to two millimeters of the lower eyelid margin. The amount of TCA, remember, is dependent on number of applications, number of layers, and the degree of saturation, the pressure applied to the skin also, and the contact time. So if you rub it in really hard, it'll be a, a deeper peel. White frost appears 30, 30 seconds to two minutes later. So eyelid skin and bony prominences have high propensity for scarring. So we have to limit the amount that we apply. And always have sterile eye wash in case the agent spills into the eye. Um, Avoid water because water will irritate the eyes and the patients will not be happy. They'll be going to the ophthalmologist, hopefully your friend. Okay, dark crusts can develop and peel on day five to seven. And a repeat medium depth chemical peel should not be performed for at least one year in general. So we can have an improvement of the collagen thickness progressing for up to a six to 13 month period. This is what the peeling can look like. So dark skin just sloughing off and then new skin coming in from underneath. TCA peel, day five. All right, so superficial peels may include the following. Phenol, glycolic acid, trichloroacetic acid, or B and C. Excellent, excellent. So that is true that trichloroacetic acid can be is a number of things. It's like a chameleon. All right, now we'll talk about deep chemical peels. These peels are rarely performed anymore, really. And phenol peels are kind of the gold standard of these types of peels. There are a number of formulations that have been devised, including what we talked about before, Baker-Gordon, Venner-Kelsen, Mashek-Trupman. So we have a lot of keratolysis and keratocoagulation causing um, frosting, but level three frost. There are significant morbidities, which we'll go over in detail, hypopigmentation, pain, renal toxicity, cardiac arrhythmias. I wonder why nobody does these. Okay, so we have absolute contraindications. Hepatorenal disease, because they can cause renal insufficiency. Immunosuppression, because of risk of infection. Crazy patients. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, because of the collagen doesn't regenerate the same way as normal collagen. And other collagen disorders, like scleroderma. Accutane treatment, I would say six to 12 months is the gold standard. 
Relative contraindications is darker skin types, definitely three to six, you don't want to do this in. History of keloids, history of herpes infections, diabetes, etc. All right. Here's the interesting thing about phenol. Phenol at higher percentage, at higher concentration, actually results in a medium depth peel because phenol can bind to keratin proteins, created a, creating a large complex, and it doesn't really penetrate well into the skin then, and basically phenol over 80 is much less powerful as a peel than phenol less than 50. So less than 50 produces deeper penetration and more destruction than desired. So these formulas, your, your formulas have to do with, with um, how deep the phenol can penetrate into the skin. So it's used for Glogau 3 and 4 photoaging skin, for deeper grooves and wrinkles. Deep peels are used during the, using the Baker-Gordon solution. Phenol 88%, septisol, croton oil, distilled water. The oil acts to, to break up the epidermis. The septisol acts as a surfactant. It causes greater penetration. And occlusion can help penetration as well. <sighs> Glad I don't do this. Okay, so the, the face is divided into six aesthetic subunits. This frost, this, this deep frost, right, has that grayish quality to it. If you ever see a gray frost, that's deep. That's really deep. So we, we don't do it on the vermilion. We don't do it across the vermilion border. Uh, we are very careful to treat the lower eyelids and the upper eyelids above the supratarsal fold. Okay, but the results from textbooks are excellent. Look at this result. I mean, I don't know if we can get anything like that with resurfacing nowadays. If you can take that kind of horrible procedure, then yeah, great. Erythema may take months to resolve. So sun avoidance for six weeks at least. You can get splotchy pigmentation for two to six weeks. And then of course, retin-A, hydroquinone, triamcinolone may provide improvement. So let's talk about level two frosting. It includes all of the following except erythema with streaky surface whitening, white frosting with erythema showing through, gray-white frosting, or A and C. is correct. White frosting with erythema showing through. So erythema with streaky surface whitening would be level one, and gray-white frosting would be level three. All right. In general, when we're talking about chemical peel techniques, we need to have the peeling agent, we need to have the cotton-tipped applicators, four-by-four gauze, neutralizing agent if needed, in a different bowl than the peeling agent because we have to know which one is which and not make that mistake. So we have to, so we have, to have, let's say, we have to have plastic bowls for one and, and glass bowls for another, or, or better yet, metal bowls and glass bowls. So patient has to be in comfortable supine position. We can't have pooling of the agent in the folds. Mucosal surfaces have to be coated with ointment, as we described below, uh, 
before. All right, the hair is removed from the face. The eyes are closed. We defat or degrease with acetone or rubbing alcohol. This is required. This is very important for penetration. And if you're not getting a good peel, it's probably because the degreasing or defatting is not being done right. Neutralization is required for glycolic, uh, not for TCA. Some salicylic requires it too, but some don't. Wash face after peel with water. All right, the frost we already talked about. Avoid the grayish white unless you want to go deep. Neutralization is usually done with cold water bicarb and is not required for most peels. So we, we can prophylax patients for um, viral infections, and usually I'll put them on a Valtrex or a Cyclovir before the treatment if they're prone to herpes infections. We can also prepare with vitamin A derivative therapy four weeks prior to the procedure because we can get a better peel. But we already talked about for the acne patients, sometimes we don't want to do that because they're going to be mad at us. They're all going to school. And they're going to look like hell. Speeds epidermal healing. Thin stratum corneum increases the depth of a chemical peel. So this is mainly done for patients who are older, patients who want a result. We curb sun exposure several weeks before the procedure, depending on the depth of the peel, to avoid hyperpigmentation. Okay, so hyperpigmentation from peels can occur. And that's why we have to be careful in patients who are three, um, type three or greater. Hypopigmentation. Hypopigmentation usually occurs from deeper peels, most likely uh, medium to deep peels. And this is, this is something that is very slow to resolve, if ever. This is something we have to avoid. Uh, not my patient from a textbook, herpes outbreak. Want to avoid that with prophylaxis. That would be good. This is a candidal infection. And this we would treat with antifungals, of course. Pseudomonal. Wow, this patient probably required hospitalization. And then scarring can occur from deeper peels. All right. Preventing complications from a deep chemical peel may include all of the following except oral antibiotics, antiarrhythmic medications, laser resurfacing, or hydration. Yes, so laser resurfacing is something that you would do after scarring, not before. All right, I want to talk about the topic for hyperpigmentation. Um, this is something that all of us have had to face, and we've had a lot of patients who've, who've dealt with their melasma for years. We don't know what to do without it, about it a lot of the time. And there is a treatment for melasma that I found to be really useful, so I'm going to talk specifically about that and that is Cosmolan. So when we're talking about causes of hyperpigmentation, we talk about UV radiation, we talk about hormonal changes like you would have with melasma, skin trauma, you know, bug bites, burns, but most of the time it's sun aging and melasma. 
And there's a cycle, this melanocyte, melanosome, keratinocyte, Langerhans cycle that causes the uh, proliferation of pigmentation. Some of it is within the epidermis, and some of it is deeper within the Langerhans cells and melanocytes. So the types of hyperpigmentation include melasma, UV damage, post-inflammatory. In this case, this is a phytophotodermatitis. So this is from someone who was in Cancun and spilled some margaritas on herself, and that's from Lyme. Um, this probably would just have to heal. And then you have the sort of streaking from IPL, and then you have ochronosis. So ochronosis can result from very high percentages of hydroquinone. Ochronosis is mainly seen in Southeast Asia and South Asia, as well as Africa. So the Cosmolan treatment that I use in my own practice is a kit. It comes with a depigmentation agent that is applied, an agent that the patient applies at home, and then a wash and a lotion. So we can reverse melasma, prevent post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. It's a non-invasive treatment. It's compatible with all skin types. There's a light peeling effect, but not too heavy. Um, does not contain TCA, which is fine. And treatment can start and be used all year round. So the ingredients are a lot of these depigmentation agents that we've heard about. Kojic acid, azelaic acid, arbutin, phytic acid, licorice extract, salicylic, et cetera, et cetera. And in the MD formula, they also add hydroquinone and retinoic acid. And that's compounded. So this is an example of an actual patient that has applied the mask. And depending on the skin types, we leave the mask on for 6 to 12 hours. We leave it on for longer in higher skin types. This is an actual patient, and you can see that the melasma is improved after one month. This is a one-month improvement. Uh, much less pigmentation on the forehead, much less on the cheeks and chin. So she was super happy. This one is, you know, a Caucasian lady with melasma, but she also has a little bit of rosacea. So after one month, she kind of got more red, but the melasma actually got a lot better. So eventually we treated her also, you know, she's being treated for rosacea as well. Periorbital areas, really, really hard, really, really difficult to treat. Patients love it when you can treat them for this. Forehead after one application, big difference. A tremendous result for melasma after one month, and she eventually did even better. She also has concomitant perioral dermatitis, so she has to be treated for that as well and for pigmentation that she's getting. Uh, this, is, this is a great result. Not all patients will get this result, but here's a type four patient, Hispanic, after two treatments. So she had a touch-up after one application, and you could see that virtually all of the melasma is gone. Uh, she's continuing uh, to do some touch-ups once in a while. Every couple of years, she does a touch-up, and she continues to use an antipigmentation regimen as well as sunscreen.
she's doing great. Okay, so the conclusion is that chemical peeling is a technique that has controlled removal of layers of the skin. It's able to treat conditions such as ridities, acne, acne scars, and hyperpigmentation. The key is patient selection, as usual. Learning how to perform peels includes both the technique and post-op care, and especially for patients who are getting medium peels or beyond, we have to know how to deal with the complications, which I've shown you before. Clinical and histological changes are long-lasting and may be permanent, but complications may occur, so knowing how to prevent them is crucial. Here she is, Cleopatra, bathing in her milk bath. Any questions? The overall performance of the speaker. How useful will this session be in your practice? As a result of this program, do you intend to change your patient care? Okay, the question about dermaplaning. I don't personally dermaplane. I know that lots of estheticians do. Um, you know, you have to be careful with patient selection again, I feel. I have seen patients in my own practice who've come to me from outside that have had some issues. But, you know, I'm not averse to it. It's just we have other stuff that we do. Are TCA peels effective in treating actinic damage? If so, how do you bill for the procedure? I don't bill for peels in general. Uh, sometimes for acne, we try. For sun damage, in general, no. I'm sure that some people have tried, so, but I don't know about it. Only one medium depth peel can be done per year. Um, yes, yes. Definitely, if a peel has been done, then other things can be done. First of all, peels that are not medium depth or beyond. So superficial peels, we can continue with superficial peels. And also we can do laser procedures like IPL, et cetera, or light fractional, fractional laser. Sun exposure is always a risk factor for uh, anything that you do that is aggressive. And the reason is because of inflammation and post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So it is a good idea to pre-treat patients and to have them avoid the sun for a couple of weeks before heavier peels. Um, VI peel, is it superficial or medium depth? That is controversial, but I would still put it mainly in the superficial category. Does Mandelic actually improve the rosacea or is it more of a safe anti-aging option in the setting of rosacea? Uh, I mean, definitely Mandelic in the context of rosacea treatment has been very useful. It does seem to cool the skin as opposed to kind of heat up the skin like glycolic would. Um, microplaning before applying the peel, we don't do that. 
Do you like Cosmolan for non-melasma hyperpigmentation? Yes, yes, post-inflammatory, especially after acne, yes. Uh, the cost within our office, I think the cost of the treatment is about 850 for the treatment with Cosmolan. How much does it cost? Um, you'd have to ask your rep. Where do you get the Cosmolan? It, com it, com it comes from Spain. But, you know, there's a local rep, I'm sure. Yes, Cosmolan is applied in the office. We usually do a second application after three weeks, three to four weeks. I already answered the charge. I, I don't know about posting the lecture. I think it's going to be posted. To what depth does the Cosmolan peel work? I think it's still considered to be a superficial. It's superficial, but it has a lot of ingredients for specifically depigmentation. Uh, how do you uh, dose TCA peels monthly with increased doses? TCA peels, we don't usually dose with increased doses. We usually do glycolics like that. We can do um, kind of the vitalized type peels like that as well. After isotretinoin, how long do you wait for superficial chemical peel? Um, I mean, a superficial peel can be usually done within six, to, six weeks to 12 weeks if you're really staying very superficial, depending on, on what you're doing it on. Retinol protocol prior to appeal. So I already addressed that to some extent. They stop the retinol if they have acne. For acne, my protocol is to stop about three days before. If they want a sort of a more aggressive peel that's glycolic or resorcinol-based, then we would actually have them do maybe a month prior to starting um, the peels. Skin restri type restrictions and Cosmolan. Not really, not really. I think Cosmolan is mainly for all skin types. Again, we have to be careful not to inflame things too much. So I've had a few patients who've come in several days after and they're just really, really red. And we've had to kind of calm them down with, um, with some topical steroids. But just, we have to be careful with dark-skinned individuals in general. Thank you very much. This has been a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs, recorded live during our summer 2017 meeting in San Diego, California.